Hey everybody, this is Gene Troyer. I'm the lead pastor of Restore Church. And what a pleasure it is to welcome you to our podcast. It's my hope that you will be marked by love and encouraged in your faith and inspired to become all God has created you to be. Now I invite you to lean in and enjoy the podcast. Hey, this morning we are starting a brand new series called Help My Unbelief. Help my unbelief. And listen, I have been on a journey this week, and you could tell Brenda uh, was pretty emotional this morning up here. That's the rawness of life sometimes. That is the rawness of life. Things come at us, and uh, we do our best. And uh, we sometimes uh, in those moments say, God, what on earth are you doing right now? And more often it is, God, what on earth aren't you doing right now? Because I don't see any action. I don't see any good. Well, when we get to that place, uh, we've probably submitted or we've probably given a little too much acreage to the enemy. And instead, uh, and we've wallowed around in that. And instead, we ought to step back. But that's easier said than done, right? Last week, Jordan, Jordan closed out our previous uh, series on do it tomorrow, all about procrastination, and someday I'll do all of these things. He talked to us about developing good habits. And he talked to us about giving thanks and being present. And as things happened this week, I went back to that. Guys, sometimes there are one, two, three, four words. Three, four words that you remember from a message. If I'm lucky, if Jordan's lucky, you'll remember that many words from what we spoke about. But this week, I thought, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. And be present. Like wherever I am, let me be present. Those are the things that came back to me this week. Well, now stepping into this new series, Help My Unbelief, I had to go back and remember when I was a younger man and the type of leadership that I loved, that I looked up to. It was, uh, it was brash, it was black and white, there was no gray, and uh, gray was wishy-washy in my younger years. Sometimes it still is, but gray's pretty much where I live a lot of times. Certainty was a thing. I loved when a preacher said, this is the way it is. No questions asked. This is the truth. I liked bold and I liked entrepreneurial spirit, still do. And many times, a lot of this was like this, this male, uh, hyper male, courageous thing that rose up in uh, the leadership that I looked up to. And pretty much it went something like this. It was, uh, now that you believe, so in the church setting, now that you believe, never doubt. Now that you believe, you should never admit any misgivings. Ignore the questions that pop up in your mind and just chalk it up to the devil made me do it. The devil is like getting credit for that word. 
But if we're honest, if we're honest, we wonder about all manner of things, don't we? We have all kinds of questions about everything under the sun. We have all kinds of questions about, God, what are you doing? We wonder. We wonder. And dare I say that we doubt. Because he didn't fix your marriage. You prayed about your marriage. He didn't fix your marriage. He didn't fix your kids. He didn't fix your mother's disease. That miscarriage happened. You put your trust in him. But he hasn't proven, has he? He hasn't proven. God, has God proven to be trustworthy in your life? Has he come through for everything in your life? Or do you sit back and go like me, God, can I trust you? Are you trustworthy? I mean, you trusted him. I trusted him to take action, to demonstrate his power in my life, and instead it's been one setback after another. You and I, didn't we do everything we thought we needed to do to achieve success? But guess what? Guess what? My 401k plan is completely drained. One more surgery, and I'm in poverty. When we get into this place, we might get into full on, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it, God. When I was a kid, actually when our kids were younger, we used to play this game called I Doubt It. And if you've played it, you know how it goes. Like you start with aces, then you play a two, then you play a three, four, five, six, right? I was talking to the staff about this to this week and one of them said, oh, I don't know that game. I started explaining the game and, he, and they go, oh, that, we call that BS in our house. <laughs> All right. So the way it goes is you say, so aces go down, you say three aces. Twos go down next. You say, I've got two twos. You may trust the person you're playing cards with. But when they say four threes, you might challenge that. You might say, I doubt it. <laughs> Turns out that was, it was a legitimate I doubt it because those were not four threes, right? These weren't four threes. What do you do when God doesn't play the hand right? When you can't read his poker face? Is trust broken? Do you go back to square one? Do you try again? Here we are in week one of Help My Unbelief, and we're talking about I Doubt It. Destruct, deconstruction is a, uh, it's kind of a buzzword among the faith community these days. 
And if you've been following Jesus for a while, you may or may not have um, gone through your own deconstruction. Deconstruction simply means um, kind of a systemic pulling apart of the belief system that one was raised in. You're addressing questions, you're addressing the doubts in your deconstruction process. Sociologists tell us that roughly 44% of people will go through a major faith transition uh, at some point in their life. I had to think back about my own process of getting to where I am today in my relationship with Jesus and in my relationship with the scriptures, in my relationship with other people, how I connect with other people. And I had to go back, all the way back to when I was about 18 or 19 years old. And I had to make a decision about, do I believe, do I subscribe to the faith that I was raised in? Now for me, I never had to go back and say, I don't believe in Jesus at all. Like I I didn't go all the way back there. But I had to decide What does my faith look like? And so that deconstruction process was not nearly as deep for me as it is for some people. But many people are actually becoming very public about this in today's world. And they're talking about the doubts and the questions and the wondering that they're doing. And this might just be the strangest sermon you've ever heard a pastor preach, because I'm going to do something that doesn't always happen in church, which is to kind of open up Pandora's box and say, you should give this some thought. You should know why you believe the things you believe. You should actually ask questions. You should address the doubts that you have. And we're going to, in this series, we're going to look at faith. We're going to look at belief. We're going to look at doubt. And these are all human experiences, not just in the church world, but in all of life. We get to address, because we all believe in something. We all have faith in something. Whether it is Jesus or not, we have faith and belief in something. So uh, let's look at the difference between faith and belief. Is there a difference between faith and belief? And the question of, if I have faith, can I also have doubts? Is that permissible? And if I have doubts, and this is where many of us get stuck, and this is where many of us get scared, am I out of sync with God? I've actually allow myself to have doubts about my faith journey. What does he allow me to do? See, I believe when we allow our questions and doubts to emerge above the surface, you know, I had to think of like this little, little what's the game called? Uh, whack-a-mole, whack-a-mole. So every once in a while, you know, you kind of let things surface and like, whoop, I wonder if I can say that. Bam, like that's what we're afraid of, right? We're gonna get whacked like a whack-a-mole. That's not the deal here. When we let these questions and wonderings and doubts emerge, traditionally, one of the things that the church uh, moves toward Those of us that have been in the church for a long time, you've probably experienced this. We go toward denial because we would never want to admit that our doubting because uh, we would never want to admit that we have doubts because uh, that would mean showing our cards. (laughs) It would mean showing our cards and showing what would be perceived to be weaknesses. And then we start down this slippery slope 
of allowing the enemy to gain a foothold. You know what? I often wonder why we say things like this in the church. Slippery slope, enemy getting a foothold. I think we just say, I've allowed my mind to go into negative thinking. I've, I've uh, allowed my mind to entertain false thinking. I have a theory that somehow, somehow it seems better in, forgive me, better in, this, in our whitewashed Christian community to blame, to blame a disembodied Satan rather than to accept responsibility for our own lousy ways of thinking. We have, by virtue of our own volition, we've decided, we often just decide we're going to subscribe to these things that we just stupidly believe. When we say whitewashed, you know, Jesus called the Pharisees their, their, their whitewashed tombs, all good on the outside and dirty as hell on the inside, right? When we are more concerned about our exterior than our interior, we're whitewashed. When we are more diligent about our public relations than our private relations, we're, we're, out, we're whitewashed. We're trying to look good on the outside and we're not on the inside. When we value perception, how do people see me? I've got to be seen a, different, a, a certain way. And if we value perception more than we do authenticity, we are whitewashed. So what are we getting at? What are we getting at? I want us, I hope for us, that after three weeks, and by the way, I love the fact that we're doing this series two weeks before we begin Restore Nights, because I think we're addressing some stuff. In these last couple series, we're addressing some things that you can't just walk away from without some consequences to your thinking. You have to, if you're a thinking person, and I hope you are, I hope you are a deeply thoughtful person that takes into account everything that you think about, every action that you take. If you do, these weeks can be transformative for your life. I hope that, that we develop authentic faith that allows for doubt without capitulating to fear and anxiety. We need to recognize that getting honest about our doubts allows for addressing them and to practically work them out and I hope we live at new levels of freedom because of it. See, when we say what we're thinking, I mean, don't say everything you're thinking. That shouldn't be the deal. But when we talk about our doubts, when we talk about our questions, you're not fooling God. He already knows. He's completely aware. You're finally just saying what you believe or what you're questioning, what you're asking. So faith and belief, often used interchangeably in our way of speaking as well as in the biblical language, in the scriptures. But in today's vernacular, the word faith, go with me here, the word faith has a deeper meaning that points to wholehearted agreement. So think about faith as being something that you wholeheartedly agree with. Belief often refers to this intellectual acceptance of facts. It's a more of a mental, a mental agreement. So, for example, most people believe it is important to eat good food, eat healthy food, and to exercise regularly. So we believe that, but most people do not eat healthy food and do not eat exercise regularly. So they believe the facts are true. They believe those facts as truth, 
but they have not themselves committed themselves to that set of facts. They have belief, but they do not have faith. Think about this. Three people get on an airplane flying to a distant city. The first person that gets on is an engineer. This is an engineer who has designed airplanes. He is actually a pilot himself. He's a friend of the pilot, and he's completely confident as he steps onto that plane. The second person coming on that plane is a business traveler. He does this weekly. He gets on a plane, puts on his earphones, and settles in, reads a magazine. He's comfortable, but doesn't give it much thought. The third guy that comes on is a novice. He's maybe first or second flight. He is deathly afraid. He's about to throw up. He's breaking out in cold sweats, and he sits there and hopes that he can just survive the flight. He wants to go to sleep and wake up when he gets there. That's what he's hoping for. Who believes they will get to their destination? Who believes out of those three that they're going to get to their destination? Don't they all three? They all three believe they're going to get to their destination. All had just enough belief in the facts to board the plane, but the faith that they exercised in committing their safety to the crew and to this airplane varies. It's very different. They're all in their seats, but they're not all in. They're all in their seats. They're sitting there. They're participating in this flight, but they aren't all in. Their faith varies. There's a fourth group we haven't talked about. That group stayed at the airport. And even if they believed that the plane would arrive on schedule at their destination, they exercised zero faith. Zero faith. They stayed in the airport. They did not commit themselves to that plane or to that crew or to that flight. This morning, maybe you believe a certain set of facts about God, but do not have faith in them. Maybe you believe in a certain set of facts about God. James writes in the New Testament, towards the end of the New Testament, the book of James written by the brother of Jesus. He writes these words. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a great day. Stay warm and eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and it's useless. Now, someone may argue, well, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, James says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have any good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say, and this is, this is where he gets hardcore. He says, you say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Then he gets real sarcastic. He says, well, good for you. Good for you. Even the demons believe that. And guess what? They tremble in terror. Faith without works is useless and it is dead. Faith without works 
If you say you believe in God, it requires action on your part. If you say you have faith, you don't have faith if you don't act upon that faith. So faith and doubt, now what about doubt? Faith and belief, now what about doubt? What about doubt? Well, here's the deal. Questions and doubts uh, often emerge. I've talked about them emerging above the surface. We actually allow them to come up. They, they often emerge as a result of trauma and some other like life-altering experience. Often that's when we allow ourselves to ask the hard questions. In those moments when we're just mad enough, we're just disappointed enough, we're just pained enough, we tend to allow ourselves more grace to consider the why behind the what of our faith. I think this is necessary. I think this is good. Because if we're going to grow in grace and in the knowledge of God, we have got to be honest about what, we, what we're thinking, what we're experiencing. I love this quote from author Anne Lamott. She says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. And faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, and the discomfort. And I love this part, letting it be there until some light returns. I find that to be such a healing word. Letting it be until some light returns. See, she's not recommending you stay in a place of doubt and pain and hurt. She's recommending and she's speaking toward the idea that you allow the healing presence of Jesus to come and bring peace where there is no peace. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter. It's the chapter that lists all the patriarchs and their, their good work that they did that, 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 that allowed us to see they were faithful. God blessed them because of their faithfulness. And in verse one, we read these words. We, say, we see the words of, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Sit with that for a while. And see if God might allow some doubt to emerge, some questions to emerge in even that verse. Because I see it. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. The assurance of what we do not see. Now I wonder about things that have happened. I wonder about the pain that people are going through even today. The loss of life. The questions and yet, we have a hope in one who is hopeful. We have hope in a one that has come that we might have life. And if we sit here this morning and we say, yeah, that's easy to say, that's easy to say. You're right, it is. It is. But you walk through some dark waters, you walk through some difficult times, and you realize when you lean in when you don't stay in a place of hurt and doubt and questioning, when you don't live there, you'll experience the love and grace of God just pulling you up, pulling you up if you lean into him. 
Verse six, it won't be on the screen, but verse six in Hebrews 11 says, and it is, it's not just difficult. The writer says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. In John chapter 20, there's this story. And, um, and whenever we talk about doubt in the church, we have to talk about doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. He was one of the disciples, the 12 disciples. And, and I don't think we should call him doubting Thomas, but we'll get to that. Uh, that's how we know him, though. So if you picture this, Jesus has died. It is now Sunday evening of Resurrection Sunday. So it's Resurrection Sunday night. And the disciples, and in my research, I can't prove that they were in the upper room where they were with him, Jesus on the night before he died. But let's just, for the sake of conversation, say that they were in the upper room. It might have been. Let's say that they were sitting around the table. The table that had been set for a feast had now been turned into a funeral. They were commemorating. They had locked the doors because they were afraid. They were in fear. Wouldn't you be? And then, then Jesus walks in and pulls up a chair. <laughs> you ever had a dead dinner guest show up at your house? Yeah, me either. Wouldn't you be freaked out? We'd all be like, what? What is happening right now? But get what Jesus says. In their doubting, in their, he had been with them for three years. He had poured into them. They didn't get it. They didn't understand what was going on. So sometimes we get impatient with ourselves. We think, how come I don't have this yet? Why haven't I learned this lesson yet? Why am I going down this road again? Let me just tell you that even the disciples didn't get it. And Jesus walks in and he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He doesn't say, hey guys, I'm here. What are you doubting for? You shouldn't be doing that. He doesn't reprimand them. Jesus brings the gift of God into a scenario that could have been painful, could have been hurtful, could have been condemning and judgmental, but instead Jesus brings all of himself into that space just as he brings all of himself into your space when you are in pain, when you are hurting, and he says, peace be with you. Fear has to leave when Jesus walks in the room. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't in the room when Jesus showed up on resurrection Sunday night. And Thomas said, I doubt it. I doubt it. I'm still scared. I didn't see Jesus. I didn't hear Jesus. I didn't experience any of that. I doubt it. And unless I see the results of the crucifixion on his body, I'm not going to believe. And then a week later, a week later, they're gathered again. Jesus shows up again. The doors are locked. I suspect they were still afraid. Jesus walks in again. And again, no condescension on the people that were in the room. 
He speaks life and liberty and peace. Again, he says, peace be with you. Now, I don't, I don't, I used to read that and go, huh, I think Thomas is in trouble. I think Thomas shouldn't have said, I doubt it. And yet, in that moment, Jesus comes in, and I now believe that he was speaking a word to us in the future. He saw us coming to faith, and he says to us today, blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. Yeah, you can't see. You can't see Jesus in, in bodily form. Blessed are you if you believe and yet don't see. Faith. Faith is what comes into action here. So in Matthew chapter 11, you'll see it on the screen in just a minute. Matthew chapter 11, this is, this is uh, John now. We're talking about John the Baptist, the John who was, was uh, Jesus said, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Uh, John was in the womb of his mother Elizabeth when Mary and walks in. She's pregnant with Jesus. And John uh, leaps in Elizabeth's womb. It's this John. It's this John that saw the Holy Spirit come down on Jesus when he baptized him. It's this John that has said, I wonder. I kind of doubt it. I don't know. Let's send somebody and ask the hard question. Verse two, when John was in prison, he heard about the things that were happening, things the Messiah would do. So he sent some of his followers to Jesus and they asked him, are you the one we've been expecting or should we wait for someone else? Are you the one? Are you the one? And then Jesus answered and says, go tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind can see, the crippled can walk, people with leprosy are healed, the deaf can hear, the dead are brought back to life, and the good news is being told to the poor. Great blessing belong to those who don't have a problem accepting me. All of John's experiences, everything that he had heard, everything that he had seen, culminated in this moment, and he still said, I don't know. I don't know. Go ask. My question to you this morning is what evidence are you pointing your doubt to? What evidence are you looking at and saying, doubt, see that? You see what happened in my life? You see what happened in my sister's life? You see what happened in this life? Doubt, be gone. The foundation of truth is Jesus. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus, that what he speaks is truth. What he speaks through his Holy Spirit to us is truth. Doubt, I believe, compels us to revisit the evidence. Doubt should compel us to revisit the evidence in the scriptures, revisit the evidence in our lives, and to say again, here's where I stand. I stand on a foundation that is not of man-made foundation, but it is a foundation of God.
Unless you and I get comfortable with asking questions about all those things we hold close, our tendency is going to be to cling to everything, to cling to everything. Deconstruction is about unearthing the why behind the what, asking the right questions to get to the most important answers. This is what will garner us a, a, a future that is preferred and a future that is better than the one we have right now. Many of us need to take it off of cruise control and pay attention to our thinking, our, our perceiving, and we have to ask the question, does how I think line up with the character of God? Is what I'm believing lining up with the character of God? Or are we simply doing what we've always done? Not challenging ourselves, avoiding moments of reflection because we value a safe life over a faithful life. By the way, the more rigid your faith uh, structure has been, the more drastic the leap of faith is to begin to ask questions. Let me say that again. The more rigid your faith structure, so the more rigid your faith experience has been, the more drastic the leap of faith is to begin asking the questions. Because when certainty has been your idol, it is very hard to leave it behind. When you leave it behind, when you leave your certainty behind, there's a real, very real fear of rejection, fear of being disowned by your community. But I'm telling you this morning, love overcomes any fear that you may have. There is no fear in love. If you're going to live the abundant life, if you're going to live a life of authenticity, you will be forever entertaining questions, assessing your journey. And I think this is healthy and good. When we ask questions, even if we get to the point of, I doubt it, this, even this can serve to be the catalyst that allows for a deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit, a greater depth of faith, and it need not serve to put a wedge between us and God. God's given you a mind. He's given you a brain. You should exercise it. We need to use it. We should never stop wondering. And just remember, you can't ever surprise God. He is aware of every doubt, whether it's expressed or unexpressed. And as you open yourself more fully to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, His grace is sufficient for you. Lean into the words of Jesus out of John chapter 14. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Do you have peace this morning? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Are you grateful? Has your past been resolved? We all have seasons of doubt. We do. Don't be afraid of asking questions. If you claim to be a Christian, you cannot live. And this is the warning. If you claim to be a Christian, if you're following the way of Jesus, you cannot live in a place of doubt without end. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and in all your ways acknowledge Him. He's going to direct your paths. Don't lead on your own understanding. Trust God. Address the doubts. Keep the faith. Lean into the wondering and allow it to be a catalyst for a relationship with God that is more authentic, more real, more purposeful, and more effective. Would you stand with me?
We're going to uh, have a few people up front that are here to pray with you this morning. And you just needed someone to come alongside you, uh, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're thinking about right now, uh, we're happy to do that. Father, we thank you that in this moment, in this space, your presence is here and we, uh, we love being in your presence. We love the spirits move among us. And God, as we've heard this word this morning, as we've sung these songs, God, let them be deeply implanted inside of us so that uh, no matter the circumstances we face this coming week, the difficulties of life around us, God, we say thank you for your presence here among us. We thank you that you have given us your spirit, that we can come against the enemy, that we can, we can speak into circumstances and believe that your presence will bring about a change of atmosphere. Your presence in us and through us will bring about the change that we know that we carry within us. So God, we wanna align our, continue just to align our hearts with you. Give us wisdom where we feel like we just can't process something. Give us the wisdom we need. Give us insight. And Father, we just believe that as we prepare our hearts for these next weeks, that you're already stirring something in us. And we lean into you, Father. We believe that you are good and you are gracious in the middle of all of our mess. And we give you thanks and all God's people say, amen. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Please rate and review us on Spotify and iTunes and join us again for next week's podcast. We love you and pray blessing and peace over you and your family.